All right. It is a Lawyer Talk roundtable session. This is Wednesday, July 13, 2022. It's unbelievable. We don't have Norm here. Brett's over at the uh, run in the station for us. But uh, we do have a guest. So I'm going to jump right into it. We have uh, Rob Cooperman. And uh, Rob, is. I, I ran into Rob when I saw a play, Andrew Claven. For those who don't know him, we're going to talk about him in a minute. So don't worry. Um, he runs a theater here in Dublin, Ohio, and yeah, I think Rob, we just sort of jumped on you and said, would you be a, a guest on our podcast? Because I, I was so fascinated by your business model. So welcome to the show, Rob. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to be here. So I, I guess I, I'm going to start by doing like the basic interview stuff just because that's what we're supposed to do. But okay. uh, So tell us about your business. It's it's Stage Right, but uh, go from there. Uh, stage Right Theatrics. We've been around since uh, January of 2017. Um, and we bill ourselves as the only conservative theater company in the country. And so far, years later, I still have yet to find another one that does this. Yeah. So we are still the the only conservative theater company. We started out doing what we called conservative theater, which is really just theater that presents a different point of view than you normally see in the arts, uh, which it would be a left-wing point of view. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm kind of getting away from that title a little bit because... Uh, it is a little polarizing, and I also want to I want to bring in people from all sides of the aisle, and if they hear conservative, they get, immediately bristle and walk away. So I've been pushing something that I call the natural theater, and um, I've written about this in the Epic Times. Uh, I am a uh, contributor to the Epic Times um, uh, in their theater and entertainment section. And I've written about this extensively, and what it is, it's this idea that I came up with that, um, you know, we need to present on stage people who are not victims. We need to present on stage people who are uh, uh, have the ability to b- find fault in themselves for the problems that face them in the play. So, you know, all plays have conflict, right? But um, there seems to be this... Um, this trend um, where the people who are on stage and are the protagonists are victimized by forces other than themselves. Right. So I am looking for plays and I will produce plays where the protagonist says, no, I am to blame for a good deal of this. It's not society. It's not the man. It's not the system. And, um, so I'm looking for those kinds of plays where people are finding the faults in themselves and through reason and the natural abilities that come with human nature, they figure out how to overcome these issues. And I take this right, the reason I call it the natural theater is because I take this right from the founding documents of our country, which said that uh, we are all uh, endowed with uh, rights that come from nature's God. These are natural rights and they include reason and um, they include uh, self-reliance. And that's what I think we are missing in the arts today is this whole idea that we are self-reliant and that we do not need a government to bail us out or, um, uh, uh, or do anything for us except protect our rights. So that was a long-winded answer, but what I'm saying is this is the kind of this is the kind these are the kind of plays I produce, and I'm looking for plays that are uh, I don't want to say wholesome necessarily, but they because they can have in them suffering and death, all those things that the left thrives on, but 
at the end of the day or at the end of the play, there is hope and redemption and meaning. Yeah, boy, there's a lot to unpack there. So yeah, let, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I love it. Let's start with some of the like the the geographical basics. You, I have been to the theater. I have yeah. seen it. It is a full blown stage with stadium seating, and yeah. you can see a play there. Yeah, this is the Abbey Theater of Dublin. Yeah, and that's where you produce your plays. That's correct. Um, and then you, I, I detect an accent. <laughs> that's not Ohio. No, I am uh, from Queens, New York. Queens, New York. So you've come to Ohio somehow, some way. I was by car. By car. Oh, yeah. I see what you mean. I came in 1991 so that I could get my PhD at the Ohio State University. Yeah, they now trademark that. Right? That's right. So, How yeah. do you trademark the? I don't know. I'm Somebody, asking a lawyer. You should anybody know this. should have done it. Shakespeare, maybe, but right. <laughs> yeah. Where? How do you? Sh- how right. do you do that? Um, yeah. So I came in 1991, and um, I, I haven't lost my accent uh, because you can take the boy out of the city, but you can't take the city out of the boy. Gotcha. So, how does one find scripts for plays like this that you talk about? Um, it's easier than you think. Um, I will. I put out a call for scripts through various um, playwright sites, you know, and there's a couple out there that, um, uh, national play exchange, uh, and there's one called play, uh, play submission helper. And you just put out a call that you're looking for these kinds of plays and people submit. And, um, over the years, it's gone up exponentially the number of plays that are being submitted to me. Um, so that's good. So people know that we're out there and, and very often I will get a thank you along with the submission and the thank you says, we really appreciate that now I have somewhere to pr- send this play where it will actually be, um, re- read and considered seriously. Yeah. Because it, it, I guess, is it, uh, it's not that those kind of plays or those kind of playwrights are advertising that it's a conservative play. No, they're I mean, not. So how how is the mainstream theater, if that's the right way to put it, um, how how are they like filtering through these? Because you would think that a good story is a good story. So if it's one of personal redemption, one of personal responsibility, overcoming. I mean, I'm thinking like all the old classic movies. Um, right. It, it's like they are intentionally just reading these and saying we don't like that. That's exactly right. I, I think there's two factors here. One is that, look, the uh, people on the left write bad plays. People on the right write bad plays, too. <laughs> so yeah. there's a lot. I mean, just from a theatrical perspective, uh, from a dramaturgical perspective, they're not good plays. Um, so that's rejected. Or the play might be good, but it is um, not within the ability of the theater company to produce it. You know, some theater companies, well, we have three actors, you know, yeah. so the play has to be for three actors. And then you get this play with 16 people on it and a, and a crowd, uh, you know, in a crowd scene. So they can't do it. Um, and also playwrights will put in, you know, fancy lighting, fancy uh, sound, all this stuff, you know, explosions happening on stage. The theater companies can't do it. So sometimes that's why. But the other thing is if the play presents a point of view uh, that is more conservative, more traditional, more uh, personal responsibility than theater companies are like, no, this is, you know, we can't have this. You know, they'll find a word that the playwright wrote um, that they'll consider offensive. And then that's it. It's tossed aside. And I'm wondering if it's, um, trying to think the best way to put this to words. I'm wondering if they're, if they're, if the, they being the, the people, producing plays, yeah. the mainstream, are saying, look, we like this story, but we're not going to be able to sell it because 
it, it won't get any, it, we can't get the sponsorship. We can't get the dollars because the people with the dollars want this. Or is it that they truly ideologically reject it? I think it's, I think it's more the latter, that they truly ideologically reject it. Um, you know, a lot of these companies out there, you, you're thinking, you know, professional companies. There's plenty of companies all across the the fruited plains that, uh, you know, are not professional in that way. They're small theater companies, yeah. you know, and they they immediately reject. Uh, uh, I shouldn't be so blanket. Um, they they reject it more often than not. Let's put it that way. And is it uh, the next question that popped in my mind? It's like, are, are there are some of these playwrights? labeled as conservative and therefore anything they produce would be rejected out of hand or um, is it the content itself the content uh, you know i i had an article for the epic times recently a few weeks ago where i interviewed a few conservative playwrights or you know using the term loosely and every one of them said i don't consider myself a conservative right playwright you know and and one of the first questions and it still gets asked of me when i started this theater company was what's a conservative play and I said, "Well, it's the it's the it's the very antithesis of what you see every day yeah. on on the stage. Yeah, everything you know? that the mainstream isn't doing. Right? right yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what it is. And but but as, as I mentioned before, I've come to learn that you know eventually I'm going to have to release myself of that conservative title, even though I'm not going to change any of the beliefs that I have. But I'm going to frame it a little bit differently so that." You know, I think more people are are willing to say, oh, this is a play that, you know, kind of um, uh, echoes what the founders were looking at or kind of echoes the way this country was founded and et cetera. I'll go see that as opposed to, oh, this is conservative. I'm out the door. Yeah. Or you can just say, we're going to just do good stories. We are. Yeah. <laughs> well, know? that's the base. Look, that's the basis of all playwriting, right? It's, yeah. First, it's got to be a good story. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, how you the nuances you put into it really, really make the difference. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting because I, t people ask me my show, this, this podcast, people have accused or recognized or said, or even I've said it's become this, it's been labeled conservative. And, you know, I've never looked at myself that way ever. I've always mm -hmm. just believed in individual rights, mm -hmm. individual responsibility. And, you know, I've set upstairs in my law practice all the time when something goes wrong, even if we can blame the court, I can blame the judge, or I can blame the jury, or I can blame my client, or I can blame whoever, mm -hmm. it almost always, if you're honest with yourself, it comes back to something I did or didn't do that, right. I, that I knew at the time even, right. where I'm like, yeah, I'll catch that later. Or, yeah, you know, whatever. And I think in life, there's so many things like that where you decided, I'm not going to put my shoes away right now. And then later on, you trip on them. And that, that's a rudimentary right. example, but it's my it's my fault. That's right. But you'll blame somebody else for not telling you to put your shoes away. That's right. Right. That's right. And yeah. we all do it as, a, as I think, human nature. To avoid yes. that responsibility. Well, you know, that's the whole key. The, you know, the left seems to reject human nature uh, and instead is is trying to create this utopia that, that goes against human nature. That's what, you know, socialism is. And um, we are trying to accept human nature as a, a given. It is a natural right, if you will. And that's going to be the determinant of how we, uh, how the protagonist in a play acts, what he or she says, you know, that, that's, that, and approaches the conflict. Yeah. And I think it almost, it, when you drop the label of conservative, it's almost like a tuning fork. You know, it's like there's a, I play music, so I always oh, make these musical analogies. I, I play Very classical good. guitar. And, oh, you, cool. you know, when, when the music works, it, you can feel it in your soul. And when right. a good story works, you can feel it in your soul. That's right. And I think so often in the arts now that I'm seeing, music included, 
it's like you're supposed to like this stuff, but it it, it sounds awful. You know, yeah. it's like it's it's not good. Right. But you act like you like it because other people are acting. It's like the emperor's new clothes all right. over again. Yeah. And uh, I've seen that in in plays. I've seen that in movies. I think Top Gun's a great example. People love it mm-hmm. because it's just like forget about all this nonsense. That's right. And go enjoy the damn story. That's right. Well, the left wing critics will hate it, but everybody else will love it. Right. So the critics are saying it gives it a zero. And, and right, right. But it's I, I don't billions. know from any. I haven't looked at um, Rotten Tomatoes or whatever that is. But but there were a number of films I know that I've looked at where the critics were lauding this particular play. I'm trying to think of one uh, uh, movie. Trying to think of one off the top of my head, um, and the the audience was just like thumbs down all the way. It's miserable, you know? miserable, and that, and that's what's in the arts today, and that's what gets me so fired up. Is it's doom, it's gloom, it's meaninglessness, it's suffering for the sake of suffering. There's no hope. There's no redemption. There, there's nothing there. Only people to blame. Only people, and somebody else to blame. Somebody yeah. else to blame. Yeah. Well, you, I want to shift gears. We'll talk because we mentioned Andrew Clavin. So, yeah. yeah, you've just downshifted, or maybe that's an, I don't know if that's a downshift or just we're going to I overdrive. have no idea what I'm doing. I All can't right. drive a manual anyway. All right. So, uh, Andrew Clavin, <laughs> um, you know, this guy mm-hmm. uh, really, in a lot of ways, changed my life, you know, because I, mm-hmm. reading, I didn't know who he was until, you know, a couple or three years ago. And I stumbled onto his book, A Great Good Thing. And, you know, it was, uh, and that got me into a lot of his other reading, both novels as well as uh, some of his not or, Nonfiction, right? Um, and uh, and lo and behold, I, one day I'm listening to his podcast and I hear that uh, there's going to he's got a play and it's going to be in Dublin, Ohio. And I was like, well, that's interesting. <laughs> Dublin, Ohio? Did he just say Dublin, Ohio? And it took me a second googling on my phone to find stage right, and um, I did, and I bought tickets, and that's how I ended up. That's how you ended up here ultimately. But uh, thank you. So uh, tell me about your relationship with Clave and how all that happened. Um, it actually started through the Heritage Foundation. In Washington D.C., um, I had made an acquaintance at the Heritage Foundation, and uh, with some careful nagging, I got them to um, spot uh, to host kind of just like a conversation, just you know, just a, a Zoom call, if you will, uh, with um, Katie Gorka, and she's Sebastian Gorka's wife, and she was very interested. They had a few other people, and there's Andrew Claven. Now I have to admit, I didn't know who he was. You know, and um, actually, my my late brother, when I told him about it, he said, "Oh, Clavin, he's a big deal." I was like, "Yeah, oh my god, I feel so you know so dumb." So anyway, so Clavin, uh, Clavin was on it, and we we had this conversation, and maybe what we could do going forward, and maybe the Heritage Foundation will host some kind of a get together in Washington about conservatives in the arts, etc. Um, a couple of weeks later, I get an email from Clavin. He says, "I've got this play." He says, "I wonder if you would take a look at it, and would you consider producing it?" And, you know, the pandemic was about to shift into high gear. So things were, you know, my theater uh, season had to be curtailed, you know. Um, but anyway, I read the play and I loved it. This was The Uncanny and based on his novel. And uh, I loved it. And um, I said, the only thing about this play is he has written in some um, effects that are going to be really hard to do even at the Abbey Theater of Dublin. And the Abbey Theater of Dublin is a very um, uh, well-stocked stage. I mean, they've got a lot of great lighting and sound equipment that can do some terrific things. But I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I mean, he's got a ghost story pop up in the middle of this set, and uh, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to talk to him. So we 
talked on the phone and he said, look, you know, however you think you can do it, that would be great. He says, I really would love to have a play produced. And I, I'm, look, I'm no fool. I mean, this is Andrew Clavin. And I said, uh, I said, yeah, let's, let's do it. Right. You're shaking under the table. I do this all the time. Yeah, I can do that case. Yeah. And then you're thinking, a, how am I going to do that? How case? am I going to do that case? Yeah. Well, I found a director. Um, his name is Matt Hermes and he is, he read the play and he liked it too. And he said, you know, I'm a film guy, really. I'm not a stage guy. I'm a film guy. I had met Matt. He had done a, uh, a stage reading for me a few years ago. Um, and he, he said, I wonder if we could do these ghost scenes as, as films. All of a sudden the action will stop. The lights might go down a little bit and here comes this film, which kind of picks up the story. Uh, and then when it's over, the action on the stage continues. I said, man, I think this is a great idea. Let me run it by Clavin. Clavin loved the idea. So that's, and so then it really got moving. I mean, he, uh, Matt, um, you know, got his actors together for both the film and the, and the stage portion. I had to learn about a lot about producing a film because I was strictly theater and I hardly know about that. So yeah. here I am. Uh, producing films, I had to learn all about these, you know, well, you got to feed the actors. I'm like, feed the actors, you know, because, well, they're going to be on set all day. You know, yeah, I, I don't yeah. think about this. Yeah. You know, who thinks about this? Go out and buy a sandwich. Um, so, you know, things like that, that that it, it cost me more money than any production I'd ever done. But the value that got I got out of it just from a personal producer standpoint to learn about how to do these things was was phenomenal and that's that's really how it came down and then we'd been in touch with Clavin throughout and when he said he was going to come yeah uh that was the night you were there yeah uh, that he came uh that was that was just the icing on the cake and what it you know there was a discussion afterwards what do they call that when everybody gets on stage? talk back a talk, talk back, back. there's yeah. a talk back on stage and Clavin was part of that the actors are part of that you were part of that and you know you just sort of invited the audience to ask questions right and it was you know, it was, it was, it was almost, it, 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 everybody just dropped all pretenses and people were just yelling stuff and, and asking questions, which yeah. was really cool. And Clavin was such a down to earth guy and he really and was really, there was no pretense to it. Right. Um, the actors, uh, were intimately involved in that talk back. You yeah. were, I mean, really fascinating stuff. Yeah. And I, it made me think, and I wanted to ask you, you already brought it up, but you, you sort of combined theater and film. Yeah. What's, has that been done? I mean, I, it seems to me it's such an obvious thing to do, mm -hmm. but, uh, the way you guys talked about it, it was not necessarily so obvious. It, it no, was, no, I had not. I have to admit, I had not seen that in Columbus Theater. Uh, it's possible it's been done. I, I, I take that back. There was a production of uh, Sondheim on Sondheim, and when you do that production, you you get with the package a film that Sondheim is in, where he's talking about his life, and they interposed scenes of the music that they're going to sing on stage with Sondheim's commentary and things like that. So yeah, it's been done, but I quite honestly, I have not seen that at all in all my years of going to theater. I have not seen that. And you know, it makes like, why not? You know, it's like, right. think of the, I imagine right now you're creative anyway, and you're probably thinking, wow, what's the limit to this now? Like what right. else could we possibly do? And it doesn't have to be like uh, a full movie because you guys almost had like a movie running in the background. That's right. On and off. That's right. But you could imagine with the other effects, there's probably, uh, the, if you really put your mind to it, there's lots of options now. Well, you can open, it opens up the door to other ways of quote unquote staging. Yeah. You know, now I don't necessarily have to rely on effects on the stage if I can do something on film. The thing is you just don't want it to become a gimmick. 
Yeah, it can't be. You, you sort of, you sort of like. I remember or recently, Kiss was on tour of the band, and they were like, they got oh, criticized for having a, ba- a backtrack or a masking track or uh, oh, really? you know, running in the background. So you don't want it to be that. But right. on the other hand, when you when it's incorporated and done well, like you guys did, thank you, man. It was really effective. Yeah. And and hearing the other question I had as I watched all that is that mm-hmm. uh, even some of the actors are saying, well, look, I don't share your politics. Right. Um, what did you run into or did you run into any issues with that? In other words, you've got the like mainstream is saying we're not going to do these kind of productions. Right. Um, do you have trouble getting actors? Uh, yeah. Um, the theater community in Columbus does not, for obvious reasons, embrace what I'm doing. Basically, their stance is, well, he can put on whatever he wants, but we're not going to support him. Now, there are some people who have been with me for seven years, actors, directors, and they they may or may not agree with me. I, I, quite honestly, we don't care. Um, and and they've been loyal to me and I to them. But um, it's, it is a little tough to get actors. Even, as I was saying, Matt Hermes, who was casting The Uncanny, um, he had hired an, act, an actor. Um, I sent her a contract. Uh, oh, the lawyers in the room, they were, their eyes parked up. What, a contract? Anyway, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I sent her a contract, and, of course, she didn't have the courtesy to respond back to me, but she said to Matt, um, listen, I looked up the company, and I looked up who Clavin was, and I just can't in good conscience be in this show. You know, yeah, I know. And, and Well, you know, these are actors. They play parts that are not themselves. That's what they do. Yeah. You know, so, you know, why is and those who are open minded enough will say, yeah, I mean, I'll play a conservative, whatever. What does it matter? I don't have to agree with you. And believe me, we don't sit around and talk politics. We put on plays. Yeah. The only criterion that's singular, the only criterion for being in a show with stage right theatrics is a love of theater. That's it. And I that, don't care who you are. That should be the same everywhere. It should be. It shouldn't should be. it? Right. I, I guess um, having it, it, there's some there's some overlap here with what I do. You know, these actors mm-hmm. are saying I don't want to play that part. It'd be like me saying I don't want to represent that guy who did that crime, or right. I don't want to, I don't want to represent that kind of client. And I suppose I could, but then it's not that far of a, a hop, skip, and a jump from somebody saying I don't want to bake that cake. That's um, right. And, and you know, I guess they have the freedom not to to do that. Um, but I will say this, I watched that play. I brought my son to that play. Norm came to the play mm-hmm. and I, I would have been hard pressed if somebody just dropped me in the middle of it and didn't give me the context. I'd been hard pressed to find anything other than just a good play. Right. It didn't like, if you just said, if I'd have left there and somebody said that was a conservative play and I didn't have the context, I'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? Right. It was just a, it was a, it was a pretty cool story. It was well-produced. It was entertaining. I didn't find anything particularly conservative about it other than just individual responsibility. That's right. The, and, and taking on some of these concepts, like we have control over what we do now based irrespective of what we did before. And is there something else, uh, you know, within our world that may, maybe not see, but has a force on us. Uh, and that, because I talked to Clavin about this because yeah, I read this and I said, well, the, you know, this is not conservative in that people are not walking on the stage, waving flags, Correct. American flags and saying, you know, God bless America. Um, what it is 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 this, these characters do focus on themselves. I mean, you don't hear Richard Storm say it's this person's fault, it's that person's fault that I have a brain tumor. It's the, and Richard Storm was the protagonist, uh, the one one of the two protagonists, the male. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's the it's this person's fault, it's that person's fault. 
No, it's basically he said, "This is the lot I've, you know, these are the these are the cards I've been given. Now I'm going to play my hand for as long as I can." Yeah, uh, and and the whole idea that there is something beyond the natural world that that was something that was very interesting to me. And Clavin said, "Yeah, that that's very true. I'm actually arguing for a presence other than ourselves." And you know, we live in a world now where the artist believes that he or she is the creator is God. Yeah. And, and I guess, as I'm thinking about this, like the, there was a presence there, you know, and I guess it was represented by the ghost, right. That Black transcended Black Annie who had transcended, you know, generations. But you know, then there's this dialogue is like, are we stuck with, with this past or do we have individual choice to change mm-hmm. what we're doing irrespective of Black Annie? That's right. And then, you know, you're sort of left with this notion that maybe Black Annie was real, maybe not, but you still get individual choice to control right. your destiny on some level, That's right. even though there is another presence out there that perhaps we can't control. Right. Well, one thing I, I will say is that you never heard Richard Storm or Sophia Endering, that's the female lead, uh, you never heard them say, uh, I'm a victim. That's right. You, you never know. heard that. You never, you know. And they if, both if, had reason to, cl- to claim that. That's right. If only, if only people would recognize my goodness, then, you know, I'd be okay. You also don't see them turning to drugs or, uh, you know, th- things to kind of artificially stimulate the meaning in their lives. So, you know, that, that's, that's when a conservative right to play, that's the perspective that you get. Yeah. And it, 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 it I guess it's, it's not, uh, I would say it's not cluttered with a bunch of artificial nonsense. That's right. That is often sort of sprinkled in like seasoning after the fact in some of these modern or some of these other uh, movies and plays. That's right. Um, You know, the other thing I thought was very interesting that you mentioned on that that, that during that talk back or maybe before Mm -hmm. about you created an interesting business model to survive through the pandemic and uh, it involved the Internet. And I'll let you explain it. But I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And that sort of opens up what you do well beyond the scope of what your little world there. Yeah, this was a lesson learned by me because when the pandemic hit um and we all and we started seeing all these Zoom or virtual plays and, and they were uniformly terrible, but I, I was like, you know, this is not theater. Theater can't be somebody sitting at home watching a, a computer and watching a play on computer. Theater involves people in the theater interacting with the with the actors, the actors with the audience. You ask any actor, and he or she will tell you that every performance is different. They're saying the same lines, they're doing the same blocking, but every performance is different. And what makes it different? The audience. So, and, and theater does have its roots in um, religious ceremony where there is a community involved. So, you know, I was adamantly opposed to virtual theater. As a matter of fact, I had an op-ed in the Columbus Dispatch about the death of theater if we go virtual. I, I've eaten those words, uh, and I've eaten, and along with it, a, a helping of humble pie. Because when we put on, you know, I put on an annual conservative theater festival. We'll have our seventh this in 2023, seventh annual. And uh, we were going to put it on. And then, of course, we can't have anybody in the theater. But we can have it shown virtually. And all of a sudden, I've got ticket sales in Georgia and California and uh, Canada and England. And I'm saying, you know, that moment like when you bang your head and say, I should have had a V8. Wow. Yeah. The, you know, I'm opening this, this, um, what I'm doing now to the rest of the country. And that's, that's a great thing. 
And so what I do now is every performance is live streamed across the country. So anyone can get a ticket. And you, you know, the obvious questions, you know, a couple observations is that I don't think it don't hit your head too hard because I don't think the people were ready to look at stuff online either yet. So it's like all at once the pandemic created, don't even get me started about whether that was necessary, but well, um, I'm with you on that. Uh, but it, you know, there is some stuff that came of that, which is now I, I, I realize I can appear in court in, in Delaware County or other counties for easy stuff without having to get my car and go there. And that's right. good. That, that, right. uh, that's good. You get to share what you're doing with people who are now willing to look to find it. That's right. And before they wouldn't have looked to find it that way. Absolutely. We were strictly catering to central Ohio. And is your attendance any less because of it? So, you know, the argument you somebody might make would be that, well, look, you're showing this online, therefore I'm not going to sell more tickets live. Um, not right now. It's not, that doesn't seem to be, I am selling more tickets online, but, uh, you know, for the virtual performances, but the in-person has remained pretty steady, if not grown a little bit. You know, we still got to get people in seats. Yeah. Because again, I am not going to. I, I may have eaten humble pie, uh, but I got a little indigestion. Boy, I'm carrying this metaphor all the way. Yeah, man. keep it going. All the we got. We'll just yeah. we'll just roll through. Yeah, it. Let's roll with this. But um, I still believe that it is not the best way to see theater. I mean, I want people all across the country to come to see the shows. Obviously, I'm not expecting them to buy tickets in California to come to Ohio for one night for a show. Although with Clavin, we had people driving in from St. Louis, Indiana. I mean, we had people coming yeah. from all over the place. Um, yeah, bring so, Clavin back. Yeah, well, I told him after the after the show, I said, you know, if you write all my plays, I, I will never have to ask for money again. Right, simple. Um, and, um, but it's not the virtual, while wonderful in its own right and for what it needs to be, it is not true theater, and I'll always be an absolutist on this. Um, it is not the community of theater. Yeah, and I think that's uh, – I always try to draw – look, the show is called Lawyer Talk, and I rarely talk about actual law. But I do try to find parallels because I, I, I believe – I went to law school, one, because it was 1992 and there were no jobs. Two, okay. because I was a history major and I studied legal really? history. And uh, three, because my grades were crappy and I couldn't do anything else, right? Nobody's going to hire me. Uh, so I ended up in law school. And you got into law school. Wow. I, I barely got into law school by the skin yeah. of my teeth. But it, you know, I've always I've always been fascinated with this notion that the, what the legal system is doing reflects in some way society. And I can't always mm -hmm. tell what comes first. I've had my theories on it, but it, you know, going all the way back in time, it's always been that way. And you know, I think as I as I look at at what you're saying about um, theater, the parallel that I deal with is in a trial, uh, the dynamic is real. I can't mm -hmm. script it. I can't. Um, I can't just go and say what's on my paper because the the look I get from one person or the feeling I get from That's another right. person will change how I react to that. That's right. And I've always said, I, I give lectures at, at trial advocacy or trial classes for law students. And I always say, you know, it's like, it's not a movie. Um, it's more like a play, except it's mm -hmm. a play that's improvised. So it's like a half improvised play, what we do. Mm -hmm. And listening to you talk, I don't think it's improvised in the way that I was saying. I think it's more like theater than I actually realized. Oh, it's absolutely performance. Yeah. Uh, which is why, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you know, I'm a New Yorker. Um, I've always been interested in being a trial lawyer. Really? Always. I always wanted to say, where were you on the night of May West? But I haven't had a chance to do that <laughs> yet. Uh, but, uh, but I've always wanted, because there is a performative aspect to it. Yeah. That's performance. I do teaching and education. That's performance. It it absolutely yeah. is. And 
even if I were deliver, I, I sent you when we were scheduling this, I think I sent you an email or text about it. I was working with an actor recently to help mm-hmm. a witness, one of my clients prepare for testimony. Mm-hmm. And I was blown away by this, this man's ability to sort of break down the testimony. And it really wasn't just helping my client. It was helping me mm-hmm. bring out my client's story or okay. you don't want to say narrative. You're not allowed to say story, but his testimony. Um, what he's going to oh. testify about. Okay. Uh, but, and how that has to happen and, and, you know, how he helped break down the barriers that my client has and that I have, uh, which are really fears of, mm-hmm. of failure or fears of they're going to think this or fears that they're going to think that. Right. And then portray it in a very truthful, meaningful way. The parallels just blew me away. And yeah. I was, I was fresh off your, uh, the uncanny play. And I hadn't seen a play for years before that. Wow. But, uh, it, I was like, it gave me chills because it, it, as I heard the actors talking about it, uh, and then I experienced it with another actor who's sort of crossed over into my world. Mm-hmm. It is, it's really, really close. You know, the, the parallels the, it is, it is very close. It makes me want to go to acting classes. Uh, you know, a lot, uh, I don't know about a lot, but, um, theater people, English majors like I was, uh, they are drawn to law, you know, yeah. that whole, but of course, again, we, we want Perry Mason, you know, it's not all Perry Mason, right? Yes. Yes, I did it. You know, that kind of thing with, you know, yeah. all of a sudden, you know, the, the great reveal at the end, it's great theater, but it's, is it real life in terms of trials? Yeah, no, probably not. Right. Um, but sometimes so, you know, yeah. I, I always look at, um, the TV shows or the movies, the the trial movies, and, I, and in my head, I'm like, yeah, that one's pretty realistic. No, that's that's absurd, right? <laughs> but um, I, I take a lot of cues from it, and yeah. I can't remember where I read this. It's not my original thought, so I don't claim it. I, I'm giving a footnote to somebody I can't remember. Right. But uh, you know, the the guy pointed out that in the best lawyer movies, the lawyer will have, at some point in the middle of questioning a witness sort of turn to the jury or the camera. And then start making a speech. Okay. Which in, in trials can't happen. Okay. It just, it, you're not allowed to do that. Right. I mean, it, 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 it violates all the rules of procedure and everything else. But the point is, that's what was compelling. It's like he's making his point as he's doing this other thing, questioning a witness. And then, you know, what, what you take from that is we need to be able to do both. Mm-hmm. So I stand now in the middle of the courtroom, sort of facing both the witness as well as the jury. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you drop all this nonsense of, isn't it correct that, right. and you just talk. <laughs> so it was a car, right? Blue car mm-hmm. going fast, right? Really fast. And you get and you know, you're telling your story as you're talking to the jury and, and you know, all those are cues from Hollywood. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and you know, plays too, like 12 angry men and some of the other sort of classic lawyer plays that started that way. Uh, and it, I don't even know where I was going with all this other than just to hear your comments on it, I guess. Well, you know, it's, as I said, it's all performance. Um, but, uh, you know, I forgot what I wanted to say about it. Uh, but yeah, there is so definitely, definitely those parallels. Uh, and, uh, I mean, you, as you said, you can, your whole approach will change given on what kind of interaction you get that's lost virtually. Yeah. That's what we were talking about. So you got it. The actors have to have an audience. That's right. Otherwise, it's 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 really weird, probably. Well, you know, years and years ago, when I was in college, um, we were doing. I was in some show, and the director said, uh, "We're going to do some exercises. This is very typical. We're going to do some exercises to get you, you know, before we start actually rehearsing with the script." And to me, they're all nonsense. 
Um, and I'm sure actors who are listening to this are saying, what? But it, it's, it's all craziness. But one of them was make believe there's no audience. And I just stood there and said nothing. And why aren't you saying it? I said, well, if there's no audience, what's the point? Yeah. You know? And so, otherwise, like self indulgent nonsense. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. that's you know the actors will emote and they'll you know there's no audience and they'll just they'll, they'll be as melodramatic as they possibly can. But if there's no audience, what's the point? It's almost like uh, now now we're going to go to a realm I hadn't thought about until just now. It's like you've got like the old John Wayne style actors versus like the new method actors. And, you know, like John Wayne would just go act, right? Um, or Robert Mitchum, I heard him talking about it, just like go act, guy. You know? you know who was big on that was one of my favorites, Spencer Tracy. Oh, really? Supposedly, he said, I've heard that it's, he said it or it was attributed to somebody else. Anyway, it's basically the law, the rules of acting are, um, you know, show on time, show up on time, know your lines and don't bump into the furniture. I mean, when you watch somebody like Spencer Tracy, it's just natural talking. Yeah. And it's an amazing gift as opposed to somebody who's, you know, you know, getting into it, you know, right. I uh, could have been, somebody. I could have been right. Right. I could have been a contender, you know, but, but, you know, I have a, I have a wallet. What's in the wallet. What's in the character's wallet. You know, I would rather you spend more time on the script than worrying about things like that. But then again, I'm a playwright too. So, well, I mean, it, 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 let's, let's, let's plumb that a little bit. So you write right. down your playwright. So you write down the dialogue, right? Um, how much do you give, I guess it gives not the right word. How much do you leave rather for the actors to interpret that? And how much do you want it to be followed? And are you different than others? Well, I, for me, I would prefer that there not be a lot of room for interpretation. Um, there's always some room, but you know, it, it's all going to come down to whether the interpretation makes sense for what the playwright is trying to do. Here's the problem. All right. Uh, in all, in all theory, I'm alive right now. Uh, so I, I should, if I'm the playwright, I should have a, uh, a say in what is being produced. If my play is being produced, I would want the director to understand what my vision was or is. Yeah. Okay. We can't do that with Shakespeare. I mean, we can't sit around and have a seance, you know, and have Shakespeare appear and tell us what. So there seems to be more, there's, it's more, and and that actually benefits Shakespeare because then people say, he's such a rich writer that it's open to all kinds of interpretation. I don't know how necessarily true that is, but uh, I'm not a Shakespeare scholar. Um, but b by the same token, uh, so I think that a, a playwright's vision is primary in the theater. I think the play is the primary, and the I, I know this is going to be disappointing to actors, and this is just me say, talking, but actors can be great, uh, they can do a great job, but really, it's it's all in the play. The play is the play is the thing. Hey, I've heard that before. Um, it, it's it, the play is primary, and it's uh, it almost sort of rings of narcissism. Then, if when actors want to take over and do it, I mean, it's sort of this this idea that I can do it better. I know what this is. And, right, right. And, I can and, feel it. I can understand it. I can. It's for it's me really to say, look at me. Look at me. That's yeah. exactly right. That's it. Now, excuse me. I have to look in the mirror here. Yeah. But yes, no, it, absolutely right. It's it's there's an there's there are egos involved. I'm not saying the playwright doesn't have an ego. Of course, you heard what I just said, but. Yeah, but it's your, it, it, it's your story. It's my story. Right. I want you to tell it the way I want it told. And then, you know, years from now, when if I'm not around uh, and you want to make an interpretation, well, I, nobody's there to stop you. 
Yeah, do what you want. Yeah, then. right. Yeah. But if you're, I, I, that makes perfect sense. And it you does. know, looking at Shakespeare, it's like you know, you you see Hamlet. There's different productions that are better than others. Absolutely. Um, but generally, it's the story that that drives right. that play. But then you put things like Hamlet or Julius Caesar, the the Joseph Papp in New York put on a Julius Caesar a few years ago, where Julius Caesar was actually Donald Trump, and you know they all killed him, and you know it it took on. Uh, a meaning that I don't think the play meant it was meant for. No, not at all. One because Donald Trump was not Caesar. <laughs> I mean, no, to begin with, right? no, and, it's so ridiculous. And, and and on so many levels, it's absurd. And maybe maybe they were making maybe they were elevating Trump to something they didn't like. You know, they they yeah. might have backfired on him a little bit. I oh, don't it know. did yeah. anyway. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know, except for the you know the woke New Yorkers. Uh, you know, yeah, this is right. You know, right on. You know. It's it's it puts a dimension to the play that I don't think needs to be there, and yeah. plus it it automatically dates the play. Ironically, right? Julius Caesar is written in Shakespeare's time in the Renaissance. I don't know the exact year, but let's just let's just go with sixteen hundred or fifteen ninety seven. Okay, and it transcends time because of its story and its message. Yeah. Once you start putting modern contemporary things into it, I think you automatically date it. Yeah, I think you're, I, I agree. I, I agree with that. And Caesar has a, a historical context as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. That it's really difficult to modify that. I, you, I agree. I agree. But, you know, again, I, I, I may be speaking a little out of turn here. I love that play, by the way. Caesar, Caesar's one of my favorite plays. And yeah. a great salad, too. Yeah, it is a good salad if you have the right dressing. Right. It's done right. correctly. Right? That, exactly. And tossed lightly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, for I knew sure. we'd get back to the food metaphor. We've got to get to the food. <laughs> Well, well, look, I, I read a quote, and maybe I'm going backwards here, but I, I meant to read it before. It's oh, like, sorry. what would a right-wing play have to offer? Right. I read this on your website. Yeah. And it, the, the answer was almost absurd to me. Yeah. And the whoever said, it was a journalist in Britain, right? Uh, a theater producer. A theater producer, okay. Anti-democracy, she says. Misogyny, yeah. bigotry. Um, and what was that? I, forget, I can't even read my writing on the rest, but something oh. of all kinds. Right. Uh, you know, it's like... I didn't see any of that in Clavin's play. Right. And, it, you know, it, it's almost, it's all, it's almost self-defeating when you, when you hear stuff, people say stuff like that. If you read that, I read that out loud to myself and I was like, boy, that just sounds horrible. It sounds like this person's a horrible person. Absolutely. Well, and, very often they are. And, and I guess, you know, your brand of conservatism, my brand of conservatism, uh, it is none of those things. No, no. I mean, we're not, I'm not going to do well coming out of the play, uh, you know, a, an anti-Semitic, or especially since I'm Jewish, an anti-whatever uh, uh, they called us, you know, the misogynist, whatever like that. You know, Clavin's play uh, was, one of the actors shared that he had shown the play to a, a theater friend, and the friend ripped it apart saying it was full of misogyny. I don't did you see any of that? No. I didn't see any of that. Um, and, you know, because they are reading into things, and that's what that goes back to what we were talking about earlier with re, uh, reviewing scripts, you know? They're looking at that. They see something, anything that triggers them in any way. No good. This play is no good. Um yeah, that's a disgusting point of view, and it and it's and it reduces what we're trying to do to just uh, you know yellow journalism on stage or something. Um, and I'm gonna now I'm really gonna shift gears. You got a podcast, and I, d I only recently realized that you had a podcast. Tell yes. me about that a little bit. Well, I'm doing it now. No, yeah. other uh, than this one, yeah, other than this you've one. got some podcasts. No, yeah, yeah, I do a show for Right America Media. Um, it's called Stage Right because I have absolutely no originality, 
And uh, it is on Wednesdays at 7.30 and strictly through the internet. But it's a show that talks about the arts and culture. And we kind of take our marching orders from something that Andrew Breitbart said, which was politics is downstream from culture. And what he was saying is if you want to change things, don't change the politics, change the culture. And so we talk about the arts and we talk about uh, culture and we talk about ways that, you know, the conservative voice, the more traditional voice, the voice of our founders can be um, can be um, accepted by the artistic community. All we're asking for is a place at the table. We're not asking to usurp anything. We just want to be there at the table to discuss the arts. And, and as um, if being conservative, you have nothing to offer. That's right. And um, we were very honored to have Andrew Claven as our guest two weeks ago. Yeah, that's awesome because he, you know, he is uh, the, the man's an incredible thinker, and I'm he sure is. he's more and more in demand these days as mm-hmm. uh, as his popularity increases. But mm-hmm. you know that that it makes me wonder if you guys are making any inroads into encouraging new artists that are maybe aren't like I, I, maybe the best way to say it is this: my son, 15, 16 years old. Mm-hmm. I hate to call him a great actor because he only did it in grade school, but he was, he was a sort of a natural on stage, you know, mm-hmm. had the right, mm-hmm. could make the crowd laugh and sure, do that. You can recognize that early. Uh, and it, you know, he's never going to do it. Like I, I imagine him trying to go into a theater program at a, at a university and you know, mm-hmm. my son, I, I hate, you know, it's, it's, it's a fact. He's, he takes, he takes after me and his thought processes and okay. politics and ideas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's, he's somewhat outspoken about it too much for his age, but, uh, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be chastised out of it or, disincentivized out of pursuing arts and have you guys i mean you guys sort of the conservative artist group mm-hmm. if there is a, a way to put it that way what are your thoughts on that sort of encouraging uh, the new generation here uh to get involved even though it seems to be dominated by the other side um we first of all one of the things that i do on my podcast is whenever i have a conservative artist on i ask the question what do you say to the next generation i ask that of clavin as well the answer is almost always uniformly persevere, do not apologize, and say what you believe. You know, we still actually have some freedoms in this country uh, that allow us to say what we feel. And so, you know, do that. And if people don't want to be your friend or, or uh, think less of you, that's their loss. You know, you you have to have guts and you have to be able to uh, turn away and you have to be able to take it. You know, yeah. you have to have a thick skin, and I, apparently my my skin is pretty thick. Uh, and people tell me all the time, "Boy, you have guts to do this." And I don't think it's any different for the young artist. Um, if you are a young artist uh, in the theater, you're going to be involved with a theater company or or a theater program in a university, and they're going to ostracize you. The thing is, you you stick up for what you believe because, believe it or not, there's probably somebody else there who agrees with you, maybe just in part. Yeah, and I get contacted all the time by young artists, and I've had some of them on my on my podcast, uh, and we talk about them. They say, you know, they are ostracized. They they do feel um, left out. You know, and it's wonderful how the left can marginalize you and then and then complain that people are marginalized. Um, the most marginalized group in the arts is, is the conservative. Yeah. And, um, yeah, but they're right. Of course. Yes. Yeah. They have, so they have, uh, justified. They, you know, exactly. They have God on their sides, although there's no God. Um, so, uh, I just tell them to, to persevere. And this is what Clavin said. And these are what others say too. persevere. Uh, do not give up. If you believe in it, don't give up. 
Yeah, and, it, I, and I and I know that's easy to say intellectually, and it's a lot harder to do in practice. But the only, I mean, if you give up, there's no way you're going to do anything. Yeah, and there's this notion that I, I, I've heard Clavin say this, and I actually. I, I think a lot about this because my oldest is off to college. My youngest will be whatever he's going to do. I don't know if he'll go to college or mm-hmm. who knows with him. But um, be a lawyer. Yeah, I hope not. But uh, <laughs> you know, the, the idea is: do you fake it to get through, or do you state your position and obviously think out your position and then state your position and don't hide it? I say don't hide it, but I also say. Treat others with respect. In other words, don't go bringing the fight to them. This is what I believe, you know, and I'll respect what you believe. You respect what I believe. We'll all get along. And theater can be a great equalizer in that way because, you know, we'll all work together toward the good of a show. Hey, kids, let's put on a show. As I said, that's what we believe at, um, at stage right. I don't care who you are. Let's do theater. Um, but I would not go along to get along. Yeah. Like you can't fly, like Clayman says, you can't fly under the radar. There is no radar. There's anymore. no radar. The radar's right to the ground, he said. Yeah. Yeah. You can't fly under the radar because it, it's just, uh, there's no way to do it and be honest with yourself and be honest with the truth. That's right. Um, and, you know, it dawned on me as you were just talking, you had actors on your stage doing Clavin's play mm-hmm. that were outspokenly against the political viewpoints that were being aired out afterwards in the talk back. Absolutely. And they said it. And it, what's what's fascinating about that is there was never a thought in your mind to say you can't come to my theater oh absolutely because of that belief of and I knew I knew these actors ahead of time you know I'd worked with with some of them and that doesn't not at all you want to be in my show great we'd love to have you do a good job and uh, and you know put on the best performance you can be and get into that that role regardless of whether it's anything that you are in real life great and then in the talkbacks we invite you to be yourself. Yeah, take a position. Yeah, come on. I don't care. You know, come on and and be yourself and say what you want to say. I get a, a people at the who come to my festival every year, and invariably there's somebody who says, "You know, I came because I wanted to see what this was all about," and and you know, and I appreciate that you actually just did it, and that's all. You know, I'm not looking for converts, although that would be wonderful. I'm not looking for converts. I'm looking for respect. Yeah. And, and, and at a, the same time, you're given a platform to art that's that right. otherwise wouldn't. Would not be seen. That's right. Would not be seen. So if Shakespeare wrote a play today, mm-hmm. it wouldn't get produced. <laughs> it depends on how you think about it. You know, some people say that Shakespeare is the, you know, the ultimate conservative uh, writer. I think Clavin has said that too. Other people say that Shakespeare is the, there was a guy, maybe in the night you were there, he said that Shakespeare is the Howard Stern of his day. Uh, he was wrong. Yeah, uh, he was wrong about why he, he what he had said was that there were, you know, Shakespeare wrote soliloquies because they were they were supposed to be talked said to the groundlings. Um, this is not true. Uh, Maybe true in part, but Shakespeare wrote soliloquies because he was following a Senecan tradition. Yeah, I mean, he was doing he was he was exercising the art of the day. That's right. And, you know, I think it's a mistake to say I'm going to judge your thoughts and give them a label based upon the rest of society. That's right. Which is, I think you, we talked about this off the air. I don't know if we were on the mics yet, but, uh, you know, people ask me all the time, oh, you're conservative. And I'm like, yeah, but I, you know, I I don't really know what that means other than Mm -hmm. to tell you this. I believe in individual responsibility. I believe in individual rights. I believe that we all have individual worth in the eyes of God and, you know, whatever God you pray to. And if you don't, we all have individual worth. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, people look at me sort of strange. I'm like, that's it. 
Yeah. And that, that's the foundation of our country. Yeah. Right? That's uh, in the, all the documents, right? Read yeah. the Declaration of Independence. The what? You know, the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, tell, it, it lays that right out. I tell people, you, you know, going back to the founding documents, because obviously you've uh, read them, you've incorporated your business based upon it. But I always right. tell people, it's like, all right, let's take a look. You know, the Constitution, let's take a peek. Mm-hmm. You ever read it? And they look at me sort of strange. I was like, well, I've read it a few times. And, right. You know, so what would you change? You know, it's this awful, horrible thing. What would you change? Right. And they're going to say something like slavery. I said, good. Already got that taken care of. Now what? Right. And, you know, eventually you get to the point where they say, well, women vote. All right, you got that fixed. Now That's what? Right. And then you get crickets <laughs> because it, you can't do it any better. I agree. It, you can't. And um, it, it, the, the, other, the other aspect of it is, politically speaking, people want to change it, but then they don't want to change it the way it's supposed to be changed. You know, it's, That's got, right. it's got an instruction book that came with it. It said, if you well, don't like this part, you can just change it. Right. You, you want to pack the court, uh, undo the filibuster, you know, all these means that are not constitutional. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to say I'm talking out of turn again. I mean, there may be some constitutional basis for for some of this, but in general, there's a the the founders put into place a method for changing the Constitution. That's what we have to follow, and that's what we have to follow, right? So the the number of justices isn't in the Constitution, and I guess some of the legislative the legislative um, uh, rules that they follow aren't in the Constitution. But they want to change those rules so they can change the Constitution legislatively. So they right. they want to they want to artificially create a majority, a supermajority, to change what is already written. And, and the point you're making is a good one, which is, look, you can change it. Just do it. It's you know you, you just need. You need to have the votes. Right. You need to ratify it the way it's supposed to be. And that's how we got the amendments that we do have. Um, Somebody was, there was a questionnaire uh, where I work. And and one of the questions were, if you could teach any class, what would it be? Well, I'm a trainer. So that's what I do. So it's like, oh, that's a good answer. And, you know, I I didn't say Excel and I, you know, and and, or uh, how to deal with difficult people. What I said was civics. Yeah. People need to know civics. We are so painfully ignorant about how this the, the country is structured and how we how this government was put in place. Um, not only the history of it, but just the the uh, the mechanics of it. And the recent Supreme Court case, the overturning Roe v. Wade, tells you everything about what people know, and they don't. And they don't. They yeah, don't. I mean, it tells you everything about what they don't know. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Exactly. Well, look, if you know, it's it's it seems fascinating to me that you've you've got this going on in your little sort of hamlet, to use a, a nice oh, little very metaphor good, very good. of Excellent. Dublin, Ohio. Um, do you, is there a program out there if, if, if a kid or somebody young or somebody on the other side, I mean, what do they do if they want to start getting involved in acting and it's not college or whatever they're doing? Are well, there, if, if you're talking about locally here in Columbus, there are 30 plus theater companies. Get involved. You know, I, I was, I came when I moved here in 1991, I was, you know, pretty serious about writing plays and uh, I was in a, I won a playwriting contest, you know, and um, so it was, it was really great. But then, you know, I had children and, you know, I, I did those kinds of things and I became the suburban dad and that was fine. But I, it was gnawing at me that I wasn't doing anything with theater. So I re-entered it right before I turned 50. Uh, and I'm a bit older now. I know I look younger and I appreciate you thinking, I was thinking that. 35. Exactly. Right. Very good. I, boy, I'll come on the show anytime. Um, but uh, it, do it. Don't sit around and think about it. Just do it. Again, we have 35 something theater companies around town. Um, we have tons of children's theater. If you're young and you want to and, and great opportunities to learn. You don't go and discuss politics. You just go and do it. 
and and find your voice in theater. So I, I know again, I, this advice is extremely easy to follow intellectually, but not so easy in practical terms. But no one's, you know, you've got to motivate you to do it. Yeah, it's back to the uh, it's back to sort of the core of what we're talking about. Is that that requires an individual choice with individual right. responsibility to. You know, Jordan Peterson's got this new thing. That's a dragon you got to slay. I mean, he, right. he he said that stuff for a long time, but it's like that's an you got to conquer that demon. You got to right. just get off your chair and go do it. Which uh, maybe I'm talking to myself because what I want to do <laughs> and what I wanted to talk to you about at some juncture is mm-hmm. setting up uh, some training or a program for attorneys for trial lawyers to mm-hmm. actually uh, to engage in the art of acting and convert that or or take that transcend that over to the courtroom because it okay. seems to me there's so many parallels that we could. Uh, we could set something up and have some fun with it. Uh, yeah, I, I'd love to be involved with something like that. I think that's important. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, you know, the art of what I do, it's funny because I, I we did a podcast. I had a buddy who has the show here with me and um, not a lawyer, um, just a guy. Oh, really? And he, he helped me with a trial and he went out and watched the whole trial and our whole team did it. And uh, we were going to do a podcast about his experience afterwards. And we came, you know, we were trying to come up with a name. Back in those days, we were still naming each show and you know, we got busy. <laughs> And he came up with it and he could, it's the art of a trial and Excellent. because the, the, he looked at it from his perspective, which he's a very artistic guy mm-hmm. as a very artistic endeavor. Like everything mm-hmm. we did had some creative component to it that could have gone 10 different ways and we had to choose which way and then right. express it. But, uh, Anyway, there's a lot of parallels, and with that, I'll shut up about it. But, uh, well, look, if somebody wants to, to check you out online, what do they need to do? Oh, that's easy. It's uh, my uh, website is stagert.org, stagert.org. Uh, and you can contact me if you want it at stageright826, stageright826 at gmail.com. All right. And your podcast, how do we check that out? You go to writeamericamedia.com. And click on where it says shows and you will see stage right. And you can find everything I've done since I started and uh, the Clavin interviews there as well. I will check it out. I've been meaning Definitely. to listen to it as, since I heard you were doing it. So look, thank you very much for coming My down. My pleasure. Uh, really appreciate it. I'd love to have you back uh, at some love point. Love to be back. Too. So, all right. Well, with that, folks, we have wrapped it up, wrapped it up with Rob Cooperman. And uh, obviously, you know how to check him out now. A couple final announcements. If you want your own podcast, and maybe somebody here at the table might want his own podcast here at channel511.com, that's all you got to do is go to channel511.com, put you in touch with uh, Brett over at Circle 270 Media, and we'll get you set up. Um, If you want to check this episode out, other episodes out, all the episodes out, go to lawyertalkpodcast.com. And with that, we're going to wrap up the roundtable. This is Lawyer Talk Roundtable off the record, but on the air, at least until now.